1: Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 534 with Ryan Hawk. Ryan is sharing how to make that transition from individual contributor to leader. So you'll learn one, why top performers often struggle as new managers, two, what most managers fail to prepare for, and three, powerful ways to build your team's trust. This episode also features a little bonus appetizer at the beginning some secrets from Ryan's influence and cold email stuff. So, if you're not feeling that, feel free to skip ahead a few minutes, but uh, I found it fascinating and I think you will too. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to ads we've referenced, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash F534. Now here's Ryan's story. Ryan Hawk is a keynote speaker, author, advisor, and the host of the Learning Leader Show, a podcast with millions of listeners in more than 150 countries. He's the author of Welcome to Management How to Grow from Top Performer to Excellent Leader. He's a lifelong student of leadership. He rose two roles as a professional quarterback and VP of sales at a multi-billion dollar company. And currently, as the head of Brixie & Myers Leadership Advisory Practice, Ryan speaks regularly at Fortune 500 companies, works with teams and players in the NFL, NBA, and NCAA, and facilitates leadership circles that offer structured guidance and collaborative feedback to new and experienced leaders. Big thanks to Ryan for chatting with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out.
2: That's Trello dot Trello.com.
1: Now, here's Ryan.
2: Ryan, thanks for joining us
1: here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. <laughs> thanks so much for having me, Pete. Excited to be here with you, man. Well, I'm excited to be chatting. And I want to hear, first of all, so you've got a cool sales career, doing great there. And also, I've noticed on your podcast, you have had some impressive guests, some of whom kind of blew me off. (laughs) Blew you off? Who blew you off? Yeah, well, I don't want to name names, but (laughs) uh, I might've gotten to them a little bit late. Like, oh, you got a cool book coming out in two weeks. You know, it's like, okay, well, you should have talked about publicist a month ago. I I think that might be part of it, but I'm going to give you some credit. I think you've probably got some secret sauce over there. So can you give us some pro tips off the bat? I think you've got something to say about persistence and persuasion that has manifested in your sales career success, as well
3: as booking awesome guests on your podcast. Well, thank you. And I think given that, my first job after college uh, when I got done playing football was an inside, uh, so I was a telephonic sales professional where I was making 60, 70, 80 calls a day. A lot of the time, people saying no, huge amounts of rejection, so you had to get creative. What I learned how to do was writing cold emails, which then I, I used that skill Uh, when reaching out to podcast guests. This was especially hard at the beginning when I didn't even have any type of platform or audience. So there was no reason for anybody to say yes. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of the short formula that I I would say I use with cold outreach, and this could work, I think, uh, potentially in other areas when it comes to selling, is I like to name in specifics why I look up to that person or why they impress me or what I like about them or the value they've added to my life. So there's one quick kind of form of flattery, but it has to be very specific and it needs to be honest. Then I like to try to find some form of uncommon commonality, a way to connect us, me and that person. Then I will share some credibility. Again, much harder at the beginning, much easier now. Credibility about the show, perhaps Uh, some of the statistics that they may care about, about who may be listening. So they can, it it adds some of that from an influence perspective. They see the social proof and then I will directly ask in bold for them to be on my show. But I also give them an out. uh, If this now is not the right time, no worries. We can do it another time. Just let me know. And so it's, I don't end it with a hard close do the opposite of that. In fact, and some guests I will do that for three and a half years, and uh, Jim Collins was one of those people, and I had multiple phone calls with his team. I sent countless emails, and eventually, we got it to work. Seth Godin, he's he's kind of notorious for this, where if you ask him early on, he'll say, come back to me after you have 50, 75 episodes, or you've been doing it for a year, and he gave me that response when I asked him initially, and I, I emailed him exactly six months to the day at the exact minute of the email that he sent me because that's what he, he asked and said, Seth, it's been six months exactly. I now have, you know, whatever, 58 shows, this many listeners in this many countries and Forbes wrote a story and blah, blah are you ready? He said, I'm a man of my word, of course. And so there's a variety and a, a lot of stories about, I think, just consistently not getting uh, upset or frustrated when somebody blows you off or they say no and just keep going. Uh, just stay at it. Not not being annoying, but also never quitting when it comes to somebody saying no or ignoring you. And I always believe, always, that no simply means not yet. Mm-hmm. And so if you say no or you ignore me, that just means it just hasn't happened yet. It's going to, but it just hasn't happened yet. And I take that approach to, to really everything when it comes to uh, sales as well as uh, getting podcast guests.
1: Oh, I love it. I, you know, I had a feeling that, that there was something to it. So that persistence, what do you think is roughly the appropriate cadence for follow-up?
3: You mean like if they ignored you and went to email again? Yeah. Yeah, I'll usually put a little thing on my calendar for a month. So it's not really quick, and I'm trying not to, to be annoying. Uh, maybe they forgot it. Maybe they never even saw it. Uh, maybe they just quickly deleted it, whatever Maybe. may be. But I'll keep to it and try to tweak it or change it. I know how this goes because I, I get these notes from publicists now, as you probably do as well, and they're promoting their clients to come on your show, and they send one, and sometimes they'll send them every single day, and that, that is not, uh, I, to me, that's not a good process for me to work with you long-term, that publicists may be ruining their shot, not only for that client, but for all of their clients, so you do have to be careful and understand that, that delicate balance between being persistent and being annoying.
1: Well, and could you maybe just give us an example or two when it comes to an
3: uncommon commonality sure. and a sincere bit of flattery? So one of my favorite writers is Adam Grant. He wrote Give and Take. He wrote Originals. He's really smart. Adam Grant went to graduate school at the University of Michigan. I played a football game against the University of Michigan, at their stadium while Adam was in school. There you go. So I told him specifically why I uh, give and take, how it had changed my life. It changed my view on the world that givers are going to be successful. So I gave very specifics on why uh, what I learned about being a giver from from his first book, Give and Take. Then I told him, you may have been in the stands and watched me score a touchdown in the south end zone at the big house, University of Michigan. And then I, I said, and here is my podcast. <laughs> I'd like for you to come on my show and then gave some of the social proof there. And he said, yes. And so that, that is one of the, the examples I do use. Now, I, th- that's one of the better ones. I'm not going to lie. I don't have uh, that good of one for all of them. <laughs> play football everywhere. <laughs> yeah. But I still had to dig and do some work and to understand the timing and look into it. Right. So with my point is, it does take some research. It takes some work. Uh, it takes some thought. To, one, say specifically why uh, that person's work has impacted you and then try to find something you have in common. It's not always that tight or that good, but you could probably find something if you look hard enough.
1: I dig it. Well, thank you, Mm -hmm. Ryan. I've been curious about this for a while. (laughs) And, and so, and I think that's helpful because many of us, they got to do some cold outreach from time to time. Mm-hmm. We got to persuade, uh, even though it's not our, our, that's
3: like an appetizer, if you will, yeah. to the main dish. I wrote a little article about this. So I'm happy to send you the link so that you could you could link oh, it yes, if you want. Oh, yes, thank you. Yeah I, yeah, I would appreciate that. Yep. Okay. So that's ahead.
1: like an appetizer to the, the main entree <laughs> of this conversation, which is about getting started in management. So- I've got so much to dig into here. So let's maybe once you open us up by sharing a, a compelling story that, that really conveys how this concept is important and, and overlooked when you're making that leap from top performer to excellent leader.
3: Well, the, the interesting uh, aspect about this, so I came from, come from uh, my first job, again, was a, a telephonic sales professional making 60, 70 calls a day, and as I as I learned how to do that well and performed at high levels... Uh, like a lot of sales organizations, there's stack rankings. And what they do when they get an opening, typically, is they look at the stack rankings and the top three or four people get the opportunity to interview for the management job. Now, I understand why this happens. I get it. I've even been, I've done this as a leader. However, really the thought that just taking the top performer and saying, well, you're going to be the manager, it doesn't really make any sense. In fact, in sports, if you take the very best of the best players, almost none of them make good coaches. The best coaches are like the backup quarterback, the backup point guard, right? the catcher in baseball. These are the people who have to use more of their intelligence than just pure sheer athleticism or, or sheer talent in the business world. So that's one of the first issues is that, We don't always choose the right people. But in in my case, I got lucky. I was one of the top performers. And so they did give me the opportunity. And I was able to lean on some of my experience as a leader in the sports world playing. uh, I played quarterback in college and a little bit after college. And so I leaned on you some of that to share why I would be a good leader. But then I get into the job and I was not prepared really for any aspect of being a manager within corporate America. I hadn't been trained on anything. I wasn't ready for any of it. And the very first week on the job, Pete, I'm 27. I'm in this nice, big, cozy office, an expensive chair, <laughs> Herman Miller, right? I'm looking out this beautiful window, which I never had before because I was in the cubicle. And I turn around after gazing out my window and and there's a 43-year-old woman who is now one of my direct reports Yeah, looking at me. She's crying. She slowly walks in my office. She shuts the door. She's kind of quivering in a way and says, Ryan, my husband cheated on me. He wants a divorce. Man. And record scratch, right? And I said in my head, why in the world are you telling me this? (laughs) What are you doing? And in that moment, I realized I had no idea what it actually meant to be a manager in a business. I didn't know, I, I, as, a, as an individual contributor, I didn't have to deal with any of that type of stuff, like real life, the psychology of people, right? Emotional intelligence, all those parts of the job, I just didn't, I, I was ill-prepared to have those types of conversations. I thought I could go in and coach about like, okay, here's how I was able to perform at a high level. But at best, that's what I could do is maybe lead like a training session on one particular topic. Yeah. But but the whole scope of the job, I just wasn't ready. And so that's that's why I focus on this specific time in someone's life because I realized that this is something I needed when I was making that leap and I didn't have it.
1: Certainly. Well well now. We got to know how the story resolves. You can't do that to us, Ryan. So so what would you say and what happened with the woman?
3: Well, I wish I would love to say that I handled it great. What I ended up doing was just trying to be a compassionate listener, which that is, I think, a basic human skill that you develop as a quarterback in college. It is part of the job, right, is having one on one conversations with each of your teammates to develop trust to show how much you care, right? As a quarterback, you, you have 10 other people that are playing alongside you. You need those guys to be ready to go. You need them to believe in you. You need them to want to play hard alongside you. And so I did use some of that and was able to, I think, be a decent listener, not really offer much advice because who am mm-hmm. I? this young guy who doesn't know anything and she's lived a, a, you know, I'm in grade school when she's starting her career, essentially, I don't know anything. And so I tried to listen. I remember that I called my dad immediately after that conversation where I kind of fumbled around, listened, but didn't do a whole lot. And I said, why would this happen? Who would do this? And he said, dude, welcome to management. Like that is part of the gig. That is a, in fact, a big part of the job. And unfortunately, if you decide to keep doing this long enough, you'll have this exact conversation multiple times throughout your career. And it's very sad. Oh,
1: the divorce one?
3: Yes. That is sad. It's sad. It's not fun. But it's life. And that's part of the deal. So learn from this and let's talk about it. And so the first one I I probably did not handle very well. And he was right. It did happen more than once again in that role. And that was it was it was crushing. And I mean, just soul crushing each time think like real life happened to people but as a leader like that's part of the deal is that you you raise your hand to be responsible to serve and help other people and and that's that's part of the job is to, is to help people in those moments that are toughest for them
1: certainly well okay well so i'm totally convinced uh, yes that's part of the job and often your individual contributor skills aren't going to to get you there in terms of, of being there for people and providing what they need to to really flourish in their roles. So, so tell us, you know, you, you've done a lot of research here in the, the realm of, of performers becoming excellent leaders. Have you made any particularly
3: surprising, fascinating, counterintuitive discoveries about how professionals can do that well? I think first, there's, a, there's kind of a few steps and, and, and all of these I did not do well initially, but did, did better after getting help from other people. And that's actually part of the first step is when you're making this transition, it is vital to create your own personal board of advisors, your own small group of people that have been there before that you really trust that are going to give you honest, real feedback that you can go to and ask questions. They're not going to judge you. They're not going to think less of you. They're going to be there to help you. So creating your own little personal board of advisors is critical, I think, to be awesome at your job, especially awesome at this job where you don't really fully know what you're getting yourself into. So that think about that part of, of, of the job versus creating that for yourself. Second, my dad also to- told me early on, and he's still living a life of excellence and certainly led in corporate America for 30-plus years, and said, think about who – Is going to be on your team. Who will you hire? Who will you fire? And get very clear on that. Because if you get that part right, you will become rich and famous within this industry. If you get that part wrong, you will be poor and unemployed. Do not mess around with this. Understand and get it right. And so I think first was I did a little project where I tried to deconstruct and understand what excellence actually was on my team and across the business. Doing my own research on, okay, I see these people are the highest performers, now let's understand why. What are their behaviors? what's their makeup, what are the qualities that those people have, what do they like, what's their personalities like. Did my best to compile a bunch of my own personal research so that I could understand, okay, I'm looking for these specific qualities, right? We, we need somebody who knows how to handle adversity. We need some aggression. We want someone who's thoughtful. We want a good interviewer, right? Really listed out the important qualities and then developed questions to ask in the interview process to help uncover if our candidates are possess the qualities that we wanted. And that I did not get immediately. But after making some hiring mistakes, and after not really having a strategy or a plan, really, what, I, what happened when I got promoted is another manager just forwarded me this this list of 25 questions. Now, they were just interview questions, they didn't really make any sense they were just decent interview questions to ask but i didn't really know why i was asking them or what i was looking for or what i was trying to do so over over time when i got some good feedback and advice i started having more of a strategy on the who of my team and understanding how to find it and i would say that was a a critical turning point for me to start building an excellent caliber team uh, was when I got more clarity on that.
1: Well, and I'm I'm so intrigued there now. I'm certain there will be different, you know, behaviors, traits, makeups for individuals who can excel in, in different kinds of roles. So there's going to be some natural diversity there, but I'm, Thinking there's also going to be some universals in terms of uh, this is good stuff for a professional, no matter what the industry, what the function. So what the function? So <laughs> I I would love to to get your take on what what are some of those universals you identified, and and how do you go about hiring people who've got that going on.
3: Yeah. So a great question. I love it. I think there certainly are some universals of people. Like it's funny, I was speaking with a a friend of ours, my wife and I went on a a double date with close friends and we were asking about how they met and we told our story how we met. And uh, Ashley's name, the the wife of one of my good friends, she said, well, I made a list of non-negotiables, meaning like he had to have these few things. I was like, oh, that's interesting that you made that list. And so I, I think that's like kind of what we need to do as leaders is, is, is make our little list. And I don't know if it has to be non-negotiables, but I, I would want them to, uh, have some qualities that we, we care about, we really like. And so for me, what are a few of the areas that I want to be surrounded by are people that are intellectually curious, right? Some people who realize that they certainly don't have it even close to figured out. They're trying to grow, learn, right? These people typically are well-read Uh, they're interesting people because they're so curious. They're willing to chase something down and go after it. I I like those types of people. My dad taught me the power of optimism. He's the the most optimistic guy I've ever met. In fact, my wife and and him are probably tied for first place there. I was so attracted to that growing up that I ended up marrying somebody who had that same outlook on life. I think that's very useful and helpful to be around. That also creates great energy in the building or in the space. A a, a good sense of optimism, believing that things will go well, I think is, is helpful. I like also people who are the combination of uh, confident yet humble at the same time, and understanding how to balance between those two, where they they believe in themselves, they're going to be able to aggressively pursue what they're they're going after. But they're also not always using the word "I." They don't think they have it all figured out. They know they need the help of other people. And humble people typically are more coachable. And I think being coachable is helpful. And uh, uh, that's why it's it's funny. I ended up hiring. A number of people who had military backgrounds, as well as people who have played on teams, sports teams, because they've been coached and they know how to work in an environment where they need to collaborate with others. So those are a few. One bonus that I would say that I I look for and I test that I love, but it's not always uh, mandatory, is being a great writer. I think someone who can clearly put their thoughts on paper eloquently, uh, straightforward, I think is a huge and It's a skill we all should work on developing. So I, I usually would ask people to send me sample proposals or emails that they've written or even blog posts. If they've published, I ask to see that because that can be a huge plus if people have developed those skills.
1: Okay. Well, so that is a, a nice lineup there and, and some good ways to to check for that. So let's say beyond the realm of, of hiring, let's say you have entered management, welcome to it. Uh, what would you say is the number one or two or three things that people just fail to prepare for? It's like, whoops, surprise. So you got one when you heard some personal issues. We got a divorce on the, on the horizon. Uh, What are some other things that that folks
3: fail to prepare for and, and what should we do instead? So the word meeting gets a bad rap because we've all sat through horrible meetings, right? And what happens when you're a manager is you probably just follow the meeting structure of the person you worked for. And so if that person runs bad meetings, now you then go on to run bad meetings. And that's unfortunate. Uh And as the leader of a team, you now are solely responsible for the success or failure of your meetings. Meetings are imperative. Meetings are important. This is where communication takes place. And that's exactly what I did, though, when I became a manager. I I literally took the agenda. The same agenda was used for every meeting, which is another, another conversation, another issue. But the same agenda was used for every meeting. And I just copied it. And just did that and just kind of went through the motions of what the Monday morning meeting looked like. And I started to become the manager who had bad meetings. And it's critical. I just had a conversation with the great Patrick Lencioni about this who wrote Five Dysfunctions of a Team and a bunch of other good books, The Advantage. And this is a, a big part of our conversation because that's where the bulk of, of in-person dialogue happens. And it's critical that you get it right and so i think you just need to be very thoughtful about your intentions the purpose of the meeting what you're working to to get out of it right making sure you send Each person, the necessary documents leading up to the meeting to make sure they're prepared to be productive in the meeting, not after meeting, but in the meeting it happens. And then afterwards, you as the leader writing your discussion summary of what was learned and then who is responsible for specific actions and what will be taken and when they'll get finished by. All of that is a big part that as a leader. I just I didn't do any of it when I was getting started and had to learn the hard way by being another yet another manager who ran bad meetings till he eventually learned a better way. And that that took some time and and certainly mistakes. And again, that's why the book is written is to help people not make the same mistakes that I did. All right. Excellent. And so
1: we'll avoid doing those things and get real clear on on the meetings and the agendas and and what they they need to to cover to be excellent. Well, so let's say in particular, like I think that scenario you mentioned in, in terms of when you are managing someone who is older and more experienced than you,
3: how do you navigate that? I think it's really hard. Part of earning respect, though, I think the ways that I try to earn respect is to show people, regardless of my age or their age, that I'm going to be deliberate about working on my skill development on a daily basis so they know that I am I am the type of person who's going to try to improve. I also will want to lean on them and ask them about perhaps if they have more life reps than me, right, they have more experience than me then let's tap into some of that. Let's see where we can, we all as a team can benefit from that. So I've had people who are as old as my grandparents working for me. They obviously have some experience that we would be fools not to listen to. And I think it, it is as a leader to be secure in yourself enough to say, hey, we'd like you to take the lead on this specific meeting or this specific training session. I want to tap into some of your knowledge and wisdom that you've gleaned over the years, right? Don't make them feel... Any type of being left out just because they're so much younger. So I really like to lean on people who have more experience than me, figuring out where their kind of zone of genius is, and then let's empower them to share that with the team so they have a sense of ownership within our group as opposed to maybe a weird or odd sense that they're reporting to somebody who's half their age. All right. I dig that.
1: And then when it comes
3: to just
1: sort of the the regular, you know, communication and and delegation, sort of day in, day out, taking care of responsibilities, activities, tasks, any pro tips on on what to do versus not do in your new management
3: role? Well, it is natural Especially if you're a top performer in my my world, working in sales, it is very natural to say, "Do it exactly like me." In fact, I got bad advice from someone who was still uh, who had not gotten promoted yet. He said, "You just need to try to hire 15 people that are exactly like you." Literally, I was told this, and I was like, "Yeah, good point." Because if I had 15 me, they would just all crush the number, and we're good to go. It was such a mistake. Uh, Obviously, I didn't I didn't really take the advice, but I I did listen and think peculiarly for a second. Hmm. Is that the right move? Obviously, it's not. Uh, Diversity of thought is extremely valuable. There's an immense amount of science to back all that up. But thinking, though, that everybody should act just like you since you were successful is a big mistake. Everybody has their own style, their own personality, their own way. Your job is to coach and help unleash their power within them some of them don't even fully realize what that is and so it's it's on you to ask really great questions to learn about each of your people as individuals to understand what they care about to understand why they're there right i had this exercise called a getting to know you document i give them this get to know you document had about 25 questions again i can i i have a post on this, I can give it to you. 25 questions for me to get to know them as a person, some of their, uh, what they're about, what they like, what they don't working styles, kind of a user manual type of a, there's a section of that for it. So I understand how to best work with them. We both fill that out. We then have a long form conversation about that. So I really get to know them best. And then if there are specific areas where they are They really excel or it's a strength. Maybe they are a person that we can delegate some sort of work to based on what we've learned. But you've got to do the hard work up front to deeply learn and care about each person as an individual because, as you know, Nobody will care how much you know or what you know until they care that you really care about them as a person. And so that's the job of the leader to take the lead on making that happen from the very beginning with, with uh, again, a number of different exercises. But getting to know them is certainly one that I've implemented and it seems to have worked pretty well. Well, let's certainly
1: link to those questions. Could mm-hmm. you give us a, a teaser, a question or two that that's often
3: seems to result in some handy insight? So I'll share some basic ones and maybe some sneaky ones here. So I will ask them the name of their spouse and kids, if they're married and have kids, and their address. And here's why. If you happen to have somebody who uh, is a top performer and you really want to make them feel the love, advice my dad gave me, make sure people feel the love, uh, and they're doing really well. And, and they're and let's say they're also helping other people, like their actions are just they're really good. They're people that you you want to make sure they feel the love. I would send a handwritten note to their spouse and kids along with it. I would usually send some cookies and, and I would uh, on the get to know you document. I'm finding out not only the interest of that person, but the interest of their family. And so in one case, I remember uh, it was a, it was a specific video game that the kids had wanted. And so I bought the video game cookies. Wrote a handwritten note to this gentleman's wife and their kids saying, your dad, John, is absolutely crushing it. He's also helping others while at work, helping them be successful. In addition to him being successful, I am so grateful that he is on our team. Because of him, we are much better off. You should be so proud of your dad. In fact, why don't you eat some cookies and play this video game and say thank you to your dad for working so hard. And one of the things I found is when you love on the people – who your people love, right? So kids and spouses of them, there may be no better gifts, right? I'm a dad, like I want my kids to think I'm cool or that I work hard. So there, there may be no better gift and it shows that you're thoughtful. So those questions were put on that initial get to know you document. So I understood and knew his kid's name. I didn't have to ask for it. I didn't have to ask him for his address. So it was a complete shock and surprise when these things show up, they're personalized, set to the right address, and they actually make sense. They're not just a f- fruit basket, right? They're, they're they're specific for that person. It can go a long way, and I developed real relationships with these people. That worked on my teams and some of them I haven't worked with in more than five years and we're still friends to this day because we both took an interest in, in developing a real relationship and caring about one another. And that then created the environment where people wanted to come to work and excel and, and perform at excellent levels consistently because they knew that their, their leader cared about them. That is uh, an
1: excellent story. And I'm all about it. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You make reference to also having an operating framework. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? And
3: why should we have one? And how do we make one? So over the course of these 350 interviews on my podcast, The Learning Leader Show, I noticed that people kept using the word framework or standard operating procedures for themselves, for how they behaved, for their actions, for how they made choices. And I started thinking, I remember I was talking to Ryan Caldbeck, CEO out in Silicon Valley, and he was talking a lot about his frameworks. And I, and I was a little bit embarrassed. I, was like, I, don't, I don't really even understand what he's talking about. Or I don't have a framework for how I behave or how I make decisions. So right after that conversation, I wrote down kind of like, what are the optimal ways for me to create a great day? What are the ways for me to think about how I make decisions, how I act, how I behave? And so that's why I created my framework and I encourage others to. And mine's simply four parts. This would equate to a really good day for me. Four parts. The first part of that is that I have an intake engine. I'm going to be a consumer of knowledge of information. So I'm going to read. I'm going to have long-form conversations on my podcast, watch TED Talks, listen to podcasts myself. Right? Intake engine. I'm going to take in information to learn. Second, I'm going to experiment with what I've learned. You can't just be a learner. You have to be a doer. you got to put it into practice. So second, I'm going to experiment with what I've learned. Third, I'm going to take a step back, reflect, and analyze what I've learned and what I've experimented with, what works, what doesn't, what I'm going to to keep doing, and what I'm going to stop doing. So I'm regularly adding to to what I do on a daily basis. And then fourth, and really important, I found the best mechanism for learning is teaching. And so when I go out and teach what I believe to others or what I've learned to others, whether it be in the form of a keynote speech, writing a book, running leadership circles, whatever it is that I do, that as I'm preparing for that time on stage or that time with somebody else to help them, I'm going to get very clear on what I know, on what I think, on what I believe. And that process of preparing for the big moment is when so much learning happens. And so when you regularly put yourself in the position to be a teacher, you'll learn as a byproduct of teaching. And it's why you find so many really intelligent professors because they constantly have to get ready to stand up in front of a group of students and teach. And so you're going to learn so much. So so for me, that is my framework, the four parts of it that have been meaningful. And when I really distilled it and thought about it, uh, it's been extremely helpful as I've progressed in, in this world of leadership to try to help other people is to have my own sort of framework. Okay. Well, thank you.
1: Tell me, Ryan, anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things?
3: Man, hey, I'll take it wherever you want. I I feel like I'm just trying to answer whatever. You you ask great questions, so keep firing away.
1: (laughs) While you're doing your leadership learning, also consider learning an instrument. Did you know that learning an instrument has been shown to reduce stress, boost your immune system, and enhance brain development? Well, our sponsor, Fender Play provides a complete online learning platform for guitar, bass, and ukulele. With Fender Play, you can play your first song in just minutes with their short, easy-to-follow lessons taught by master instructors. Fender Play takes a step-by-step, song-driven approach based on your own music taste and your schedule. You can access from your phone, tablet, or computer picking up right from where you left off. I really appreciate how they start from the very beginning and then move bit by bit so I, I don't get sort of lost or they don't away from me. Like, these are the different strings of a guitar. Okay, cool. Thank you. That's where I'm at. And I don't feel at all self-conscious about how I sound or like I'm inconveniencing somebody or my instructor is waiting for me because, well, online, they can't hear me and they can't get frustrated with me. So I appreciate that. New members can try Fender Play free for two weeks and save 50% off the Fender Play annual plan. To snag that deal, you visit Fender.com slash podcast and use the offer code AWESOME at checkout. Do note this offer is only available for a very short time. It ends on Monday, January 20th at midnight Pacific time. So once again, you visit Fender.com slash podcast and then use the special offer code AWESOME to try it for free and save 50% off if you get the annual plan and start learning today. So thanks to Fender Play for sponsoring the show. Oh, sure thing, well, let's hear about a favorite quote, something you find inspiring.
3: My dad's told me when I was young, he goes, if you choose to do anything of significance in your life, and this this was relating to sports for my my brother and I at the time, if you choose to do anything of significance, people are going to start talking and writing about you. Never get too high or too low, based on what they say if you don't want people to talk about you or write about you then don't do anything and i thought that was a a really meaningful quote to us, especially in our formative years when my brother aj and i were having some success on the football field that it was a good reminder that don't think you're too great just because you've had a good game and they put you on the front page of the paper And, and and subsequently it's not as bad as you think when you've played poorly or you've done something not as well. Like stay composed, have some moxie, right? And that has helped me in the business world as well because things are not always gonna go well. And it's it's how you choose to respond in those moments that can be very impactful. And so I remember that from my dad and, and I've, I've, I've never forgotten it.
1: And could you share a favorite study or experiment or bit of research?
3: I think, uh, you know, one of the people I'm fascinated by uh, is David Goggins. He wrote a book called Can't Hurt Me. And, uh, I'm going to have David on in, in, in the future. So I've been doing a lot of research on him, but he talks about the power of physical activity and how that is so helpful mentally. And I'm a big believer in this as a, I'm a big workout guy too. So maybe I'm choosing this out of selfish reasons, but he believes in developing and building mental calluses and those mental calluses can be built up through hard physical exertion right pushing your body further than you think it could go and he cites a lot of science to, to, to back all this up but really how you it's not about necessarily about just being a workout fiend it's about regularly putting yourself in challenging positions to understand that the, the level that you can get to mentally to be able to push through difficult moments and i think the use of doing that through exercise for me is is very attractive, and I've implemented that. And I, I think for leaders, you may, may be saying, "Well, I don't. Do I really need to go work out? I don't. You certainly don't have to do it that way, but I I believe it is a great mechanism to understand how far to push yourself through through challenging moments. And
1: how about a favorite book?
3: Uh let's go with uh it's like asking your favorite kid. We're going I'm going to go with um The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. Uh that that book is there I, I live in Dayton, Ohio. The Wright Brothers uh, bicycle shop right down the street here in Dayton, Ohio. I think that book is beautifully written and the story is incredibly inspiring and if you haven't read it and you just heard about the Wright Brothers in school, there's so much more to learn about those guys including just how so many others were supported more than them both in uh, moral support and financially, both in the States and abroad. And yet these guys were willing to put in the work day after day consistently to build the first ever flying machine. It's a really inspiring story, and I read it and reread it regularly. And how about a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? Actually, uh, <laughs> this may be weird, but so I'm, I'm almost always in preparation mode for a podcast guest. And a lot of the podcast guests have written books. And so I I would say one of the biggest uh, tools for me that I'm always in is the Kindle app on my iPad. I'm regularly using it to highlight. um, And then I I take notes. I also then transfer my notes usually into some form of uh, a Google Doc. So I have that everywhere I go. And, and then I always print it out and handwrite my notes leading up to uh, a podcast episode uh, because some, there's something to me about uh, the, the handwritten form that it really ingrains the information in my mind. So those are a few few tools that help me, uh, I think, do my job well.
1: And have it a favorite habit?
3: Every morning when I wake up, I have a, a, a wife and we're raising five daughters. And so it is a chaotic household a lot. So I have to create space where I can be by myself. And usually that is very early in the morning. So my favorite habit is waking up before everyone in my my home does. And I love to stretch. Uh, I stretch my body and then try to stretch my mind through reading and then writing uh, early in the morning. And then I, I push myself pretty hard in the gym every morning before I come home and have breakfast with my family. So that's, uh, I would say, a, a habit and a routine that I've Gotten into uh, over the past few years, that's been very helpful.
1: All right, and is there a particular nugget you share
3: in your your
1: talks, etc., that really seems to connect and resonate with folks? They they quote it back to you and retweet it often.
3: Uh, we've talked about some of them already, but I, I would say just remember the importance of your who, and ask yourself who is your who. And there's really three groupings of the people in your life that you should think about surrounding yourself with. Who are those people who are ahead of you? All right? People who have done what you want to do. These are the mentors you look up to. Maybe some, some bosses. Uh, some of them are virtual mentors because you've just seen them online. You love what they do and you follow them. So who's in front of you? Who's beside you? Who are those people you can walk along this challenging path, you can help one another out, you're rooting for each other's success, you're not judging each other, you can share difficult moments and help one another. And then who are those people that you are helping? Who's behind you? Who are you mentoring? Who looks up to you? Who's asking for your advice? And how are you pouring into them to help them get better? Uh, I think it's very critical to remember who is your who. And if it's not clearly defined, take out. Piece of paper and a pen, write that down and then rate those relationships. Level 5 relationships, at least on this grading scale, are those people who you have regularly scheduled meetings on the calendar and you schedule the next meeting while the the current meeting is taking place so you know it's going to happen. That's a level 5. Level 1 is someone that you'd like to talk to but maybe haven't yet and everything else is in between. But rate those relationships and be very intentional about making sure your who is clear and it makes sense for you and what you want to do. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? Learningleader.com. Everything is there. uh, Website. You can get my book. You can listen to podcasts. And if you happen to be listening on your phone and it's easier, just text the word LEARNERS to 44222. LEARNERS to 44222. All right. And do you have a final challenge or call to
1: action for folks
3: looking to be awesome at their jobs? (laughs) <laughs> I read books, man. Read books. Uh, I, I remember uh, when I read Good to Great by Jim Collins and the impact it had on my life because not only did it change my viewpoint on what it meant to lead in business, it made me a more curious person and it also made me want to read other books. So reading begets reading. Uh, I just think I've never met somebody who's well-read, who's not very interesting. And isn't that the type of person that we want to be? I like surrounding myself with really interesting, thoughtful people. And I've I, again, I've never met somebody who's a constantly reading books, who isn't the type of person who I'd want to spend time around, who isn't very interesting. So uh, that would be my piece uh, is to read books. All right, Ryan, this has been a lot of fun. I
1: wish you lots of luck in all of your adventures and keep it up. Thank you so much, Pete, man. Love being on the show with you. I really appreciate Ryan's insights and I really appreciate our sponsors. Check them out. I really loved Ryan's take on sharing the love with the people that your people love with the story with the cookies and the video game. And, and I just think that is, that's unique. It's fresh. And, and boy, would that make a world of difference? I am imagining right now, if my wife got a note like that from someone at work, I'd be like, this guy is awesome. Or this gal is awesome. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and that would be really nifty. And, and and heck, if someone wants to send a message to my family, uh, that would be cool. Thanks. <laughs> So uh, I thought there was a, a really great bit of, of thoughtfulness that it, it's sort of techniquey in the sense of, ooh, here's a trick that you had thought of. But at the same time, when you really know your people and it comes from the heart, then that's just so powerful and, and unique. So I, I dug it. Hope you liked that and more from Ryan. Again, the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced are at yourjob.com slash F534. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push subscribe to catch our next guest. Nicole Merrill is talking about how to punch doubt in the face. Hope to catch you there. Peace.
0: Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the how to be awesome at your job podcast, or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice.